0: Hello, my name is Matthew Kidman, and welcome to the latest episode of Success and More Interesting Stuff, brought to you by Livewire Markets. Nick Scarley Furniture is probably best known for its TV ads that feature songs from 70s and 80s artists such as Madonna, Steve Winwood, Cyndi Lauper, and Joe Cocker. Behind the feel-good ads, though, is a furniture powerhouse. Since listing on the Australian share market in May 2004, the company's sales have increased 1,068% net profit by 1,407% and the dividend is up 1,263%. During the same period, the number of stores in the company has risen from 10 to 107. This has all been achieved without having to tap investors for more capital. Even when the company swooped on the troubled plush furniture chain in 2021, it didn't bother shareholders, instead using its own cash reserves and some debt. Two years on, that debt is effectively back to net zero. All this has added up to a share price increasing just over 1,000% in 19 years, 10 times greater than the performance of the All Ordinaries Index. driving force behind the success has been Anthony Scarley, son of founder Nick. Anthony was the CEO when the company listed in 2004 and remains at the helm today. Not much known is about, about Anthony. He conducts his investor briefings in a polite manner, but they are always brief. His presentation decks are also concise, without too many metrics. There is little fuss and the message is always simple. More stores with decent margins will deliver returns for himself and the other shareholders. The success of the business has ensured Anthony does not have to worry about personal finances, but ambition still burns. He thinks there is plenty of runway left in Australia and New Zealand for the business. And maybe, just maybe, he can apply his retailing magic to the bigger market of the United Kingdom. Welcome, Anthony. Now, those songs in the ads are they off your playlist <laughs> from, from forty or fifty years ago?
1: Well, depends how much we pl- have to pay for them. Is is the answer to that? But do you say, so, yeah? Uh, we all there's a group of us that yeah, and they're they're pretty effective. Yeah, I think I think they've got to have a wide age demographic. Is what we look for. Make sure that they pull the you know twenty year old and a. 60-year-old like myself, so, yeah. And, and
0: does the 20-year-olds like it? Uh, yeah. Oh, they
1: do? It, well, you know, because I've got children, so I always ask them, do you know this song? Do you know this song? You know, back from the <laughs> 90s, and they know it. You know, it's amazing how young people know the old songs, so it's, um, yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: well, I'll assume you chair that committee that selects it, so you've got a bit of influence. Yeah. But looking at those numbers that I read out in the, um, in the introduction there, the market hasn't been too kind to you, has it? It it normally when you've performed over, what is it, nineteen years, nineteen and a half years, and you deliver that kind of performance, you get multiple expansion. But when I look at it, the multiple that you floated on all those years ago, it's not much different to the multiple of earnings today.
1: Yes. Well, that's right. We we probably when we floated, we um I think we listed on nine times the earnings. Yep. But within the day after we listed it you know it went up it reached as high as 20 times at certain you know within a year so I guess um, as the business look our our growth has been good and steady but it hasn't been spectacular I think that's because we're a bit careful about that is to we just didn't expand um, a lot of stores in a short time because we were always concerned about not not doing it too fast, which would cause issues um, in growth, particularly on the distribution side of of furniture business. And also we didn't want to be locked into long leases at very high rents, which do too many of those, they'll come back to bite you. So, because, you know, the key is to make money. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not a revenue person. I'm a revenue, but I need to make money. You know, no, no point being a busy fool. Um,
0: yeah, but I, I would say that one of the things that the market looks for and would tell you, all the investors would say, we like consistent, steady growth, and that's what you deliver. Do you think there's a little bit of hesitancy around the fact you're a retailer and people say, well, how many more leather lounges can Australians buy yeah, and yeah. does the housing boom go on forever? Do you think there's a little bit of a stigma attached to it? With, maybe, investors? yeah, maybe,
1: but, you know, the Australian population's grown. A lot since we've listed and that's allowed us to open more stores that more than we thought we could ever open and um, so that sort of underwrote the the sales performance and you know how many sofas can people buy but they and also I think the other thing people have lost sight at is that people replace Mm -hmm. their furniture more often than they used to. You know, going back to maybe our parents who kept the dining for 20 years and the lounge a lot longer, it's a bit more fashion orientated, colours changed. I think people refurbish homes more often
0: now. We definitely spend more money in the home.
1: Yes, and I think, you know, and there's been all those TV shows. So I think that's helped our business along the way. Well,
0: let's let's go back. And in, in, I think the business now is sixty-one years old. Yes, we have only seen it in the last nineteen years, but it started all the way back in nineteen sixty-two with your
1: dad. Yes,
0: it'd be interesting to work out how he got started and why furniture.
1: Yeah, well, my dad emigrated from Italy. Um, in, I think fifty-five. Um, how old was he then? Eighteen, and but he was so very ambitious. You know, came here with. Not a lot of money, very which little. Which part of Italy was he? He's from the south, which is the poorest part. He's from Calabria, which is even, you know. He said to me in those days there was no job opportunities in Italy and people either went to the US, Canada, Australia or Argentina if you wanted opportunity. And, or, so that's what he did. And within five years he had his own business, uh, a small appliance, selling appliances in North Melbourne, he had a partner who was an English guy. So he came to Melbourne? Went to Melbourne. I was actually born in Melbourne. But he always wanted to come back to Sydney. So while selling then TVs, you know, TVs was the big thing. He started selling TVs but he, they needed to sell the, the TV cabinet with the TV and he realised he was making more money on the cabinet than he was on the TV, which is still today this, true. And so he, he went into the furniture business and opened a store in Brunswick in Melbourne, just furniture, um, and then came to Sydney, uh, sold his business in Melbourne to his uh, manager, gave him terms to pay, him, pay it off, and then he came to Sydney and opened up in Ashfield on the Yume Highway in 1962. So how, how does an immigrant
0: like that, who I presume comes with very little, Get into a retail business where you've got to have suppliers. Yes. you've got to have terms. You've got to be able to pay the rent. How, how did he? Did he give you any insights on how he went about getting established? Because as you know, all those things are critical to small business as well as big yes. business.
1: Well, and also he, well, he's a clever guy, and you know, he had to educate himself. You know, he, he didn't. He wasn't taught what a balance sheet looks like, or but you know, he. When I started into the business, he he was way across it all, you know, and he certainly – what he instilled in me, the disciplines of running a business I still use today and, and he always had a good psychology with people. He sort of had a good intuition on people. But anyway, why did he do it? Well, he fell into retail and he liked it and then he saw an opportunity in furniture to sell to a lot of the migrants, particularly Italians those days, who wanted, you know? Uh, so he opened a store with the name Nick Scarly, and in an area Ashville, which is near where a lot of the Italians uh, immigrate lived in Haberfield, in the in the the inner west five of Yeah, they all—that's correct. And it was very niche. And in those days, traditional furniture is what the immigrants liked. You know, that very baroque, and that—and that's so he found a niche. Uh, one store operation, he did pretty well out of that.
0: And you just mentioned then the foundations of his business or, or his philosophies. Yes. Can you remember any of them in,
1: in detail? Well, one was it doesn't matter how clever you are, you've got to work hard. Right. You know, he, he instilled that um, into me from the beginning. And, I get, and what I learned along the way is he would – the expectations of not being – being into the detail – you know yep. watching every part of the business don't don't neglect don't neglect areas of the business so in, in a furniture business for example yes you've got the retail stores but the distribution's not easy because furniture is a big item it's got to be you know delivered in a truck to people um, into stores um, and these days importing so supply chains always important and having good one thing I learnt from him was drivers were critical for your business because a bad driver, a delivery driver, if he doesn't deliver the furniture and he damages it, it'll come back and you'll lose the sale.
0: And and you lose your margin straight away. Yeah, that's
1: exactly right. And if you look around the world, the bad furniture business all have that problem is returns. So returns was always about, you know, minimising returns, being very careful in that bit of, of the part of the furniture business.
0: And what about cash collection? Yeah, and you have Because there count. was a lot of terms in those days, like in, in buyer terms, well, in, more, generally more, in retail. More,
1: he, told, he told me more, because in the 60s, you know, I was only six or seven years old, you know, um, he, those days, people, terms were really important. Um, so he used to use a company called Mercantile Credits who so used to do the consumer finance. But as, you know, by the time I came into the business, it wasn't that critical anymore. It turned more to a cash... And even today, our business, funny enough, finance is a really small part of our business compared to, say, the likes of Harvey Norman.
0: Yeah, and that's something I've noticed over the years. You haven't promoted that finance as much as you've got older. It used to be part of those ads. Yes, correct. If you go back to the early 2000s, it was about finance. Yeah, correct. Then, Then you switched on the music. Yeah, correct. And changed the tone.
1: Yes, yeah, correct.
0: So your dad got started and he met your mum In In
1: Australia, in Australia, she was from Holland. She was Dutch. So yeah, another
0: immigrant, though. Yeah,
1: well, she had an immigrant. She came here on a working holiday. She told me she got sold on it, you know, that it was going to be great, and then she ended up picking um, uh, cherries in (laughs) on a farm, you know, in in the Australian sun in the outback. Because those days, immigrants had to work in farms. Yeah, would be able to stay here for a while, like they do now, I think actually, yeah. So that's what happened. And 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 how did they meet? They met, I think, in a pub in Robinvale, Mildura. Right. Near Mildura, yeah. that's that was, and the rest was history. Well, yeah. a,
0: lot of, a lot of Italians moved down that way. And yes. still lived there and, and made good livings. So it's it's a yes, prosperous town.
1: It is, yes, it is. So yeah. that
0: was fortuitous. So you've mentioned a little bit. It sounds like um, when you were young, when you were a kid, uh, in the household there was a lot of business talk.
1: Yeah, later on, I think. Yeah, my dad always, yes, he always told me what, how he was going, what he was doing, you know, and um, he did that. And then particularly when I went, I, was at, I did B Comet New South Wales Uni and I said to my dad, oh, look, I'm not going to come in the furniture business, I'm going to become a merchant banker, which is now investment banker, but that was the terminology those days. And he said, oh, yeah, that's okay, but you've got too much time on your hand at uni, so come, you can, I've got work for you to do in the business. I said, okay, so and that's what happened. I started working in business and I never left it, never worked anywhere else.
0: It never became that merchant banker. No. no. So that's 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 probably a good thing.
1: And what was, um
0: before we go to university, what what were you like at school and what did you like to do as a I,
1: kid? I, I was an okay student, you know, I just scraped in in the university. I, look, I like business, but I didn't like science. I didn't, you know, I was bored quite often at school, to be honest with geography and science, those things. I was okay. I was better at maths, I loved commerce, you know, where we started um, taking that as a subject. So, yeah, and I got through uni, um, but, yeah, I wouldn't say I was the most diligent student. I was always um, probably sailing. I sail a lot, love sailing, so, you know, I was sailing a lot while at uni, but then my dad made me work hard and I was actually, towards the end of my uni years, I was really working hard in the business, long hours, you know, so I like commerce, you know, I like business.
0: And were you growing up in the inner west? Is that where you were located? No,
1: my parents originally we lived in Lillipilly in the Southern Shire. Yep. And I was about ten we moved to the Eastern Suburbs because my mother was very much about education and she wanted us to go to a private school. So that's what happened. We moved to the East.
0: Right. And still there today, I think. Yes, correct. Correct. That, that's home base. Your dad opened the second shop at some stage.
1: Yeah, he opened a store. A few, he had a store in Wollongong for about a couple of years, and closed it. He he struggled a little bit with opening more stores. I think because um, there's some open. We had one in Surface Paradise those days, and then he closed it. But and I think the reason they didn't succeed is because we're in that niche market. The company was in that niche, you know, very traditional furniture wasn't mm-hmm. mainstream enough. And then also he was a bit of an entrepreneur. He had a uh, wine business. He did property development. So he was looking doing divesting. Uh, and I suppose then we went through the 90s where interest rates hit 19%. And we got caught, or he got, well, we got caught with property developments and subdivisions. And it was really tough, really tough because the, small furniture business was – cash flow was funding it. So I learnt a lot from that period. And then after that, we – he and I (laughs) – said, no more property. We're going to expand the furniture business and we're going to change what it looks like. We're going to go a bit more mainstream uh, to, to widen the pill, the segment, until we become nor- wider and then we start opening stores and that, that was a change
0: you talked about lessons in the early 90s property was one of them yeah I, I know more recently you've been a property buyer so maybe you've gone the full circle but just on that nick scarley the company that we've seen as a listed company in yeah. the last ninety, has never been geared to any extent um you've had brief moments when you bought plush but you you seem to pay that down pretty quick is that is that the, early, the ghost of the early 90s, no, ringing your ears?
1: You're spot on, Matthew. So I, I can remember in the 91, the bank, cause my, you know, the bank is saying to us, we can't give you any more money. Your property values that you hold are now worth half. You know, the, I remember the state bank, they changed your policy from external values to internal values and they came back to us and said, well, our internal values tell us your property's half. You're in trouble. How are you going to top up? And then interest rates were 18, 19%. And so every bit of money we made was just going to pay interest. And, I, and it was very, very stressful. You, it actually choked the business for a while. You know, mm. It was really difficult. So, you know, that lesson, because of that, yes, you're right, I've become very conservative on the debt side. You you might think I have no personal debt at all. (laughs) Even the things I do, so maybe it's too much to an extreme. But yeah, the company has debt and it has it on property. I like debt on property because you know fifty percent geared is okay. You can handle that. But you've
0: also got a cash balance against that.
1: Yeah, and you've got a good cash flow. Great.
0: I always think being a small company investor. The best companies are the ones that have got cash on the balance sheet yes. net because you know then the history is that it's been very profitable. Correct. Because a lot of small companies come to the market. They're more conceptual rather than
1: exactly. operational. That's right.
0: Just on university, it sounded like university migrated into full-time work <laughs> yes. at the family business. But did you learn much from university? Was that a good period? Because, yes, because no, a lot great. of people say that university is not that relevant to the real world. But
1: Oh, no, I think. Well, I majored in uh, accounting and finance, and that certainly helped me and probably helped the business in that sense. So um, I enjoyed Because your dad it. would have
0: had to have learnt all the finance on the job, I gather. Correct,
1: yes. Those days you learned it through your accountants or auditors, you know. they, they were, So, yes, he was self taught, but he was. So, yeah, no, university was valuable. And I think my children, um, two of them, went did commerce and both, I said, and whatever you do, do accounting and finance because it sets you up for the rest of your life, you know. If you I've manage said, your own money. You I
0: said the same thing to my son and he, did you? he said, Are you joking? So really? Yeah, <laughs> you've obviously yeah. got more employees. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, he might, he might get there one day. Um, so you, you then were all, went straight out of uni into full-time business. You went through the early 90s. That was yep. tough. But by the time you listed in 2004, on the numbers that I can remember and yeah. looked up, you had 10 stores. So that pivot away from property into investing in the stores did lead to a chain. Correct. And, and those stores, from an investor's point of view... There were other retailers at the time when you'd add up per profit per store and you'd look at it and they'd make $20,000 a store and you'd say, well, why would you roll out another one when that's all it makes because they're difficult to run. Yes. But yours were incredibly profitable. Correct. In the hundreds of thousands, if not more. Yes. But how did you get your dad to go from that one or two stores to, to – I think you had ten, correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. We did have when we listed, but we're very, we were very profitable. Um I think at that point, uh, we what happened? Furniture was being moved, shifted out of Italy into China. And but
0: before that, though, you you sourced your um, furniture out of Italy. Correct. And that was it helpful to be in an Italian family or an Italian dad.
1: To an to an extent, but the Italians they, they they were more they were less flexible than the Asians. So that. You know, it's hard to explain, but the Italian factory, you might go there and say, they say, oh, we make this table that's 180 centimetres long. We go, no, we need it 220 by 100 wide because that's what Australia wants. They go, oh, no, that's impossible. We can't do that. And, but we didn't have the volume those days at the same time. But China, we went to China even when we started buying with six stores, they, would, they, would, they were flexible those days. So, so that you, would have been the could, late 90s? Get, or? Yeah, yeah, no, early 2000s. Bit, yeah, late nineties, early two thousand. It was early days, and and I and we were able to make better margins out of Asia those days, um, and still today, and they're they're very good manufacturers. So, yeah, that's that helped our business. To be honest with you,
0: at that time, your dad was on the board when you listed, but you were CEO. When did that when when did that baton get handed over?
1: Yeah, that. It was a gradual, gradual handing over, um, but officially it didn't happen till we listed. Um, but I was really, in effect, running the business. My dad was a bit more presidential, uh, if you like. Uh, um, still had the title of CEO. Uh, yeah, so it was progressively handed over. Is probably the right answer. And then officially was when we listed. And why? Why would
0: you list? It, it's a family-named company, family-run company. You, your dad's obviously done well as a private business person. That must have been difficult because all of a sudden you've got different masters. You've got shareholders, you've, you've got the ASX to deal with, you've got compliance that probably never existed prior to that. What,
1: what was the impetus to...? Conservatism, again, because the issue was to open more stores, you were putting more at risk personally. And, you know, quite often those days, leases, new leases, they wanted personal guarantees or big lots, long bank guarantees. And you just, it was like a consolidation a little bit. We took money off the table for the family, so that consolidated our position. Because you got to remember we went through the 90s where we were nearly, you know, bankrupt almost. You know, we just held on. We really just held on. Properties at half. So it was like a consolidation of where we're at, and we kept 50%. Um, so, and that gave us more confidence, less risk to start opening more stores. Because when you're running a 10 store business, a lot different to say 100. Um, you're much more involved, you know, you know every store salesperson, manager. You, the stores are run better they are I admit to that you can't run 100 stores as well as you run 10 you just can't. So there's more risk in opening more stores um, and more growth pains and so we thought okay if that if we do fail at least we've got some money we've taken off the table it just gave us a little bit more ease to to expand but having said that we, we were always we ran it. Or in preparation for that we'd run it very uh, with a lot of discipline that would so we just flowed into or public company very easily.
0: So that transition wasn't the hard. transition And wasn't was it hard. hard for your dad to make that mental leap?
1: No, he was for it. He was actually the one. His, his ambition was always to list one day. He wanted it to list. Right. So he but followed the share market. He he did and he he just I think it was like a um, an achievement for him that he could have a business that listed. And so we did,
0: and that that's that's where you prospered. I I grew up in the Riverina with a lot of Italian families. Yes, and property was the only thing you mentioned yes. the share market. Yeah, you know. yes, yes. Look, you, look at shares if you yeah, and maybe you're right, right? <laughs> so he went the other way.
1: Yeah, he did. He did at that point. Yes, yes. And, and your your brother and sister, yeah, um,
0: both in the business at that stage. Yes, and and were working in it, but like later they left and they sold their shares.
1: Yeah, look, what actually happened? My sister left earlier, almost prior to listing, because uh, she had a family. And my younger brother, he's ten years younger than me. He worked in the business right up until two thousand and end of two thousand and fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I think it got the reason we then split the business is because their, their their interest was more about doing other things. Um, I was happy to continue the business, so. And you bought some of their shares? Yes. At the time. Was, yeah. it, was
0: that seamless or, or given it's a family business, was there any, was was that
1: tough at the time? Yeah, it was tough because, you know, that's, there's always, everyone's got a different opinion to value. Um, but it was the right thing to do at the time, I think. And
0: and that's worked its way through and
1: yeah. everyone's
0: happy with yeah. where they're at today. Yeah, they are.
1: I think they're, they're, happy. they're happy. It was difficult for my father, of course, you know. He he um, he loves family, and he you know, and he and he, and it's difficult for him because it was he was in the middle. So um, you know, I was more the driven one about business. I wanted, I liked the business. So, and at that point, my daughter, because uh, she she came into business uh, when she was eight. And she's still in the business now. She plays a key role in the product side. So. Um, it felt more like it was the right time to do that.
0: So it's still a family business?
1: It, it is. I think it is. And, uh, I, I think that people feel that. Have you yeah, got work two
0: of your business. kids in the business now? Yeah. Oh,
1: my youngest son only joined three months ago. Right. He did B Comet himself. He worked at Telstra and Big Data, then started his own online natural wine business, then sold that. So I, I, I said to him, look, I, I'm getting old and need help. <laughs> and our e-commerce is a big area, you know, and it's actually difficult to get people to in that area. And so he fitted the bill, and I, was, you know, I talked to the board, and they were happy with that.
0: So let's let's go back to when you listed May two thousand and four. I think it was a dollar issue, and as you mentioned, it was up on day one. Yes, and and people had bought into that. But the idea with uh, Australian retail concepts, and that was pretty well pre online then was that you needed a rollout, you needed a growth channel. And I remember at the time you, you used to say, well, we've got to be cautious, we've got to sign the right leases, we don't want to go too, it's, it's incremental, we'll do this. But that's what you were saying outwardly. Internally, you and your dad and and your brother and sister or your brother, what were you thinking, that there was room for 100 Nick Scali stores if we got it right in ANZ?
1: Well, back then... Then we certainly thought there's going to be room for 50 stores, next Carly stores, and as I said before, population growth allowed you to open more stores, and uh, yeah, no, we always, always were ambitious about the, our store growth, and we also knew, you know, volume helps a business. You know, you get the economies of scale, um, and buying, and distribution, and advertising, and and that turned out to be true, and and I think that that was the main focus for us is to grow the network so we could get those economies of scale and buying power, and and, and even landlords it helps today. You know, a next scarly stall gets a good deal
0: because your gross margins, which you talk about a lot in your presentations, so yeah. it's the one metric that have have held in. They've been strong for a long time. I know they've float around a little bit, yeah, but sure. generally they've stayed up there. Is that is that a metric that you? follow very closely. Yes. Could you tell us about it?
1: Well, and and at the end of the day, you to get a good margin, you've got to buy well. it's not about just setting my price. I've got to be the best at buying the best value we can. And that's I think we're good at that. I think we you know, we've been doing it a long time. We understand furniture and hence that's the direction I wanted my daughter to come into the business because it's like a chef. You know, if you lose a chef in a good restaurant, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so she's – she, luckily, she's very commercial because, it, yeah, it's okay to be creative, but you need to be commercial, right? It's got to sell. You've got to know your mar- customer. You've got to know your market. And you've got to know value when set, you see it. And you've got to work with the factories closely to get that. And, that. and we spend a lot of time doing it. We still, I still travel factories, we've got good relationships with it. And so we've got to
0: So those early relationships that you struck up in Asia have paid dividends over the years because you do have more and more volume.
1: To them, correct. And they will they will look after you when you give them volume. And um, and it's a mix, you know, that they'll lose a bit on one product, gain a bit on another. So you've got to let them live too. So it's a balancing act there.
0: So uh, So you're giving us you've got to buy well? You've got to have good drivers. Yes. You've got to be commercial. And I have heard you say on another interview that you've got to have good salespeople and they're not easy to find. Correct.
1: So just elaborate a bit on that. How do you find them and why why are they so important? It's critical because, you know, we're selling a high-ticket item and our average unit sale has risen and risen and, you know, the average lounge sale is about 3,500 today. And, you know, that's... For most people that's not a small amount of money. So you've got to sell that. You we can't just be That's in your top five purchases, isn't
0: it? Home, car, kitchen, correct. Furniture.
1: And it's a lot of competition as well. There's too many furniture retailers. There are so many. Little ones, big ones, chains. So we're competing with a lot of other furniture retailers. So our salespeople gotta be better. Now, not saying we always achieve that, but that's we strive <laughs> A lot to have good salespeople in our stores and it's challenging. And the other problem is, you know, seventy percent of our business weekends. So your good salespeople gotta be there weekends. And that's tough.
0: So one of your long term and great competitors, Jerry Harvey, yep. at Harvey Norman, I remember saying that he when you ask him what his main job is, he'll say picking stars. Yes. In, in, on, he's obviously got the franchise network slightly different. But picking stars, people who can sell. So yes. He thinks the same thing, but where where do you find
1: them? Where <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> You've got to find them. Um you Is know it from word competitors sometimes. It, no, it's going to market, uh, doing store visits around poaching, advertising, you know, whatever. You've just there's all different ways of doing it. So there's no one way, you know. Uh, and referral sometimes. And yeah, he's right. He, knows, he understands that exactly because he, you know, he, my dad did door-to-door selling. So did, I think, Jerry Harvey. Correct. So they learnt the importance of having good salespeople, the old school, the old way of doing it. And it's still important today, no matter, you know, even a car. You'll buy a car from the guy you like. Not You know, the BMWs, you might buy, be able to buy that at 10 different... You know, locations, you'll, you'll buy from the guy you like, I think. So it's really important in our business, the same thing. They've got to like the salesman first. They've got to trust you. They trust the brand. I mean, our brand's already done half the job. So it's left to the salesman. It's definitely,
0: isn't it, in Australia, a salesperson has got to be trusted. It's yeah. not the hard sell that the Americans are used to. No. If you trust me, you're a chance of buying yeah. from me. correct. So, so when you're hiring these people, because you've got a big network now, you've got a lot of salespeople out there. Yes. Do you, you said you've got to be across all parts of the business. Do you still interview those people? No.
1: I don't ha- interview them, do but but we meet every week. I meet with my head of retail and a few of the regional managers. We I meet and we review the past week on what store didn't perform. <laughs> Not the ones that did. We're happy with the ones. There. It's the ones that didn't perform what's What's going wrong? You know, and then normally it's a people problem. Something's happened. You know, you you might have lost your best salesperson in that store, so that's constantly onto it. And, and, it, and it's um, and then we've got to recruit. We, you know, pe- unfortunately, if you're not selling furniture, you won't earn commission, and you're not going to stay because you won't sacrifice your weekends not to earn commission rights. So it's self That's another point you've made
0: before. They've got to be able to work weekends. Correct. Which is not standard. It's hard. It's th- especially really if you've got families. Yeah,
1: exactly. So we do roster weekends off, but it's it's difficult when you're good salespeople are not there. And, uh, in any store, as Jerry Harvey once said, I remember listening to him at the Chamber of Commerce, when he said, you only need one gun in every store and your sales will improve a lot. And he's right. So if you lose that gun, that store performance will drop and at our margin losing sales is really hurts
0: well it's interesting Jerry, Jerry it can be quite disparaging of some of his competitors but over the years I've heard him speak he, he's always been quite um, quite a bit of a admiration for the Nick Scarley brand I, I think he maybe because you operate on a similar kind of philosophy of how yeah. things work in the world
1: yeah and I think there's We're obviously, you know, very. I'm very. I've got a lot of admiration for Jerry Harvey and Katie Page, both of them, because they've done unbelievable. What they've done is fantastic. What they've built, even looking at their property, it's massive. Um, Very undervalued business, really. Um, Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, he and he's. He's. I think he's he's an ethical person. He believes in hard work. Very similar to ourselves. And in the Scarly
0: family, you mentioned your dad did door-to-door selling. Yes. Was he the salesman and you were the operator, or are you a salesman?
1: No. <laughs> he's a salesman. He's a very good salesman, and he's, he's got charisma, which I don't have, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more the Dutch side, you know, a little bit hard-nosed, a bit more into the numbers. and Yeah, but I can sell if I have to sell, I guess. But Yeah, I don't over-promise. I'm not. I think you know I'm not a CEO that is trying to talk it up. A bad result's a bad result, you know? And what we did wrong, we've got to admit to it. You know, if you made if you didn't do it well, if we didn't get if we didn't get our marketing right or we got the product wrong or we, that's our fault, you know, we've got to admit to it. That I think honesty and I think we always try to be honest about good or bad results.
0: Before we before we delve in a little bit further about what type of CEO you are, can just I'm interested in that it is a competitive market. What most entrepreneurs who start a business, they the less they know the better because it's hard to start a business and get it running. What made you think that you did have a niche, that you could be a big player in the Australian, New Zealand furniture market when it was competitive and still yeah, is?
1: I, I guess I didn't think – I just thought um, I looked at – it was more about focusing on our business – what could we carve out for ourselves in a nation? And we looked at competitors, but I don't look at them that closely. Mm. I don't follow everything they do and the way they do it. as As it's more about working it out yourself, I think is really important. Doing it your way, you know, we are different. If you walk into our our business, is a lot different to other furniture businesses. A, a lot of people
0: different. listening to the podcast would would have been into a Nick Scarley store, but where do you sit in the hierarchy? in terms of expensive down to cheap, Well, well we're who, not do you, who do you cater for? You said you've got a broad age span that comes in.
1: Yeah, we, look, we the perception in Nick Scarley is that we're more premium than we actually are. And you're happy with that? Yeah, I think people, when they come into the store, are surprised at the value we offer. Um, so there's an, an advantage to that and a disadvantage because you don't get – there's many people who don't come into our store cuz they think oh no they'll be too expensive for me when they're not but we are very competitive um, if you once you're in the furni- once you're looking for furniture i think once you uh, if you come into our store i think we've got a good chance of closing you because people will be surprised at the value and also they know already we're quality so and we're very we spend a lot of time making sure that the manufacturers Build a lounge to our standard because the customer raises a bar on us as well. They expect a better standard, so it's really important we deliver that. And that no, we don't always do that. No, we fail at times because, um, you know, a lounge is handmade after all. So It's amazing how important
0: expectations are. Yes. You come in to a store thinking, well, this is going to be out of my range. But it's and not. And then you realise that, no, I can make this work. Yes. That's a good thing. That's yes. a good selling technique. Yes, yes. Exactly. Never over promise. Yeah. Okay. So you've mentioned in in the conversation we've had different aspects to how you think about the business and how you go about the business. But just on you yourself as a manager, as I said, you've been there since the day it listed. You've been the face of the company. It's got a lot, lot bigger, a lot harder to manage. I imagine. What what kind of manager are you? It strikes me as you know all about the business. You don't manage it from necessarily
1: just from head office. No, correct. And I don't think a, a good retailer should do that. Um, yeah, because I'm passionate. I think the first thing I've got passion. So, and my advantage and how I became a CEO. I mean, what type of CEO is from being a very coming from when it was a very small business to where it is now. So. I think I understand most every part of the business. I can see something going wrong. I can pick up when something's going wrong pretty quickly, whether it's distribution, product, or even marketing, right? So, yeah, I I think a good CEO should be across the detail. Uh, And I am very detailed, but probably sometimes too passionate. You know, probably my expectations sometimes are too high from people. I expect too much. Um. So and that can come through, you know. Um,
0: and and the people who are in the business can they run with you, or or has there been turnover over the years? Because as you said, you, sometimes you are demanding.
1: Yeah, look, it, it, no. In some, so my head of retail is eighteen years. My head of distribution is twenty years. Um, i seeing my daughter's in the business. She's been in there now it's fourteen years. So there's a lot of senior management that have stayed and they're very critical roles and they understand when well, I'm over passionate they get that <laughs> they, they know that they, and I think they know me because I might be over passionate but they know I'm you know I'm going to look after them if they need me to help them with anything so they know that um, and yeah we set the bar high and then those those got those those people I was talking about they they like that they actually like they've loved the growth of the business they're very proud of the business you know um, we've probably changed a few CFOs, too many. But, you know, when you've got a business with eight stores and then 100 stores along the way, you, you need more competency. And my problem is I am across the detail. So I can. if I get a panel before the board meeting, I can normally want to know that number doesn't look right to me, show me the detail, right? Mm-hmm. And then you might find it's not actually always as accurate as you'd like it to be. So I guess, yeah. Yeah, it's a mixed bag, I guess. Like you said, the people have stayed with that and haven't liked it.
0: Um, before we get on to the future or where you're at at the moment and what it looks like, it, it, interesting, we mentioned before that you um, participate in purchasing some of your brother and sister's shares at that time. But later on you sold uh, up to half your stake to to a Chinese group. Why Why would you do that and, and just the philosophy behind it?
1: Well, you know, I... Had to buy my family out, basically, of the business. So um, it was an opportunity. I wasn't intending to do that, but got approached by the manufacturer.
0: Just as someone who had a long term relationship with the
1: group? Yeah, correct. Uh, and they had just listed this company in, in China. They're, they're quite a sophisticated company, you know, they, they understand public company, understand what we were about, and they're a very aggressive, ambitious company for growth. Um, And, look, at that time I thought we are probably in the future going to raise more capital and at my shareholding, that would be a lot more I'd have to put in. So I was more comfortable selling down a bit, keeping still a meaningful amount of shares. Also gave me the opportunity to divest a bit into other things for the family, to buy properties and invest in other areas, which is because you never know, retail business can be worth nothing tomorrow. It's really easy. Correct. So my view is like I need a bit of divestment uh, for my family. Um, and yeah, looking back, that was a mistake, really, if you look at it. I mean In terms
0: of the share price.
1: And what I yeah, and the funds I received, I would have got that more and just continuing along the dividends. But at the time that was just a decision I made again, because of my conservative nature and um it like, still? Sounds meaningful. like the business has
0: probably done better that over that period than what you would have expected.
1: Yeah, because you, you know, businesses are always stressful to run, particularly retail businesses, and when you know you've got a solid backing outside the business, not everything's in your business, you, you can make decisions, I think, better decisions because you're not that panicky or stressed about it, you know, when all your wealth is just in a retail business. If you, if, if you, you know, just the psychology.
0: Yeah, I suppose on our side of the fence, when you manage your own money, that's easier than managing other people's money. But you you think maybe the reverse, that you might be a bit too conservative if it's your own money I'd, or all of your money on But I'd line.
1: be more stressed, and then if you're too stressed, you're going to make wrong decisions. Yeah, you know? no, that's a good point. Has, I, it, has it
0: changed the way you manage the business since they've come in as the shareholder,
1: major no, shareholder? No, well, they've left. They're no longer a major shareholder. Um, so, no, I don't think so. Look, the amount, the shareholding I have... Um, it's very meaningful. and But putting that aside, you know, the business has got a, my name on it, Nick Scarly, the name's there, and and my children in the business. So you feel – I think the alignment's good for shareholders. I think it works. So
0: today, or at the last reporting period, you had a 107 stores, but you obviously bought Plush yes. in 2021, which was a big move. Yes. It was over $100 million that you purchased it for. But it gave you scale, and you've been turning that around. So today, 107. What ANZ? Before we go further afield, ANZ. What What do you see the vision for the business now?
1: Yeah, look, there's growth. Um, there's not much as much growth as it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago for Nick Scali. Plus, has got a fair way to go. Um, so there's that rollout. But again, you know, you. It's very difficult in furniture to open lots of stores in a year because that where you want to open there may not be any opportunity there or, or availability. So you have to wait for that opportunity. So we've got that growth there for the business, and yes, then we've got to look at other what ha- other avenues of growth. The Nick
0: Scully plush combination. Yes. What, what what can the footprint be in, in that A and Z? Look, era? plush has got.
1: Another 50 stores, so that would take plush to 90 stores. I think Nick Scarley, we said 85 to stores. Um, uh, that yeah, that's the that's a fair way to go, yeah, to over 170. It is, but you know, it'll, it'll take it can't be done in two years, you know, it'll take um, some time again, so I guess being where we are now we are also looking what other potential avenues of growth cuz that yes we've got that growth and at you know steady as you go well which i don't like accelerating growth and doing bad lease deals for example because i think that comes back to hurt you
0: later yeah it's it's got to be very measured yeah. which has been the case yeah. all the way along. Yeah. you haven't been shy or, or you haven't floated the idea that united kingdom is a place that you think the nick scarly um, retail concept or something similar could work, that, that's a big leap. That's the other side of the world. Yeah. And and it's a big market and no doubt competitive. But you, you've hinted that that would be a good place to go and, and you've done a lot of work trying to work that out. Yes. Can you elaborate a bit on that and, and what yeah. you're thinking and why it might be a good market for you?
1: Well, the, in in my travels at fairs and factories, I've met so many of the English retailers furniture retailers and their business is so similar to ours and even the product you know we we buy sometimes this actually there's exactly the same product um so it's a very very similar market there's no language barrier the law is very similar everything's so similar i think that's that's why i've liked the idea of expanding the uk it's a bit like to me, it's a bit like New Zealand. I know it's closer, but it's similar, right? It's like another extension of Australia almost. So, and I know, I see the way they do it, and I think there's an opportunity for us there. Um, there, The re- furniture retailers there, very similar stories where the founders, you know, started in the 60s, are gone, and they're, some of public companies run by non-furniture people. So, you know, I think there's opportunity there that...
0: You think you can do it better than some of them?
1: Well, yeah, otherwise I wouldn't do it,
0: yeah. So I can't imagine you starting Greenfields? No, it's it, too It'll long. be an acquisition?
1: I think, yes, because it'll take too long.
0: And, yeah. and is the business, given you did Plush, I think it's two years ago now? Yeah, and almost two years, yeah. Yeah, that, and it seems like it's gone very well in terms of where it was at and where it's at today and how its paid generated quite a bit of Profit, even though you don't disclose too much. Yes. Yeah, it's all part of one business. But it seems that way when you analyse it. Are, are you ready for a UK expansion yet? Or, or is this something you
1: want to chew on for a long time make sure you get no, it No, right? I, I think if the right opportunity came, we now's the right time, I think. And it's a tough market there at the moment, but that's why there might be an opportunity because it is tough, you know.
0: With the cost of living crisis, um, yeah. inflation being high. Yeah,
1: I mean... Still a big population there, and and, they, and look, I look at their revenue, the retailers. That the revenue is pretty good, it's still pretty good, you know. So I think there's opportunity the way they do their distribution. I think the way they buy. Um, could, could you that's how it? I see it, you know. So I think I think it's not that bad as it sounds. Yes, it's not like it was, and nor is here. Right, it's tougher here now than it was during COVID. Um, so I think, yeah, you know, a good business will do well even in, in a tough market.
0: Could you use the same supplies? Is yes, that, Is that oh, one of sure. the leverage benefits you've for got? For sure. So they'd be encouraging you to... Oh, yeah,
1: they would love that. And it'd be good for our business here too. Uh, and the UK, an average furniture store, does almost double the turnover of Australia. It's just because of the density of population. So, and there are – actually, I think it's less fragmented than even Australia. Um, and so, you know, if you get – there are companies there with 40% market share and so that's massive, you know. Mm. So, yeah.
0: So we, we, we watch in anticipation. Yeah. Yeah. Just before we finish up, just – Future for Australia? You mentioned there it's a bit tougher now post COVID. We know yep. COVID was an unusual time. Yes, correct. And people did spend a lot of money on their yeah. homes because we spend a lot of time in yeah. our homes, and um, we're out of that now, um, fully. We're not even cycling the numbers anymore. Are you quite optimistic about Australia and the?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think. Um, well, I think one of the benefits has for the consumer is that their wages have been increasing. I think more than. What you read i think it's we well i can see that in our business you've had to give people some hefty pay increases to keep them because they've got other opportunities and you know and cost of living is going up so low unemployment um which is almost too low because it's so hard to get people so they seem to be ha- they seem to have the money the interest rate rises Yes, it's probably hurt a small group of people, but I think on the whole, people are okay, pretty cashed up. So they just, you know, got they stopped spending when the interest rates continue to increase and now they're starting to stabilise. I think you'll see, I think it'll be okay.
0: Be okay. And as you always say, if I can get them in the store, we'll make a sale.
1: Yeah, correct. Exactly. Well, So
0: so we'll we'll get some more decent ads, I suppose. Yes, correct. (laughs) The TV ads might ramp up. Yeah, and, And what about... What about you? You, As you mentioned earlier, 60 now, got your kids in the business. So yes. the Nick scarly name will live on. Yes. It, it's, it's still a family business. How, how long do you say you still passionate? Yes. Still healthy? Yeah. G- Jerry, I think, is in his mid-80s and he, he still turns up every day. Yeah, yeah. Rupert Ruper got to 92. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Before he pulled up something. stuff. Yeah,
1: Harry 90, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still going to work every day. Yeah, I, look, if you love what you're doing you know, you'll, you'll keep doing it. And uh, I do like it. I, I really enjoy it. It's challenging. You know, retail is challenging because it, the environment's changing all the time. But I I, I like it. So, yeah, no, I'm not going to retire. Well, and I think my wife doesn't want me to retire either. That's, that's always <laughs> She knows that I wouldn't retire. Go If I retired fully from business, I'd be doing something else to do with business, you know, where to be proper debt. So why not just stick to what you you can do, you know. And, and
0: succession, is that – do you think about it? Yeah. Because yeah. you've been through it with your dad.
1: Yes, correct.
0: Yeah.
1: I think about it, yeah. I and
0: and what, what do you think about that premise that the best person should run the business in a family business that it's that, – that kind of gets narrowed. It's not necessarily the worst person but it's, you know, there's a short list of people available if you continue right. to yeah. run it as a family business. Yeah. And do you think about that much?
1: I do, I do. And I think, yeah, look, I, I think if it was tomorrow, my daughter or son wouldn't be ready to run this business for sure. If it's in the future, maybe they will, you know. That's how I And good. I think, and I think like that's it. a good thing because you, you you bring a CEO from outside, you don't know whether he's going to succeed or not. You know, to be honest, particularly in our size business, it's not a massive business. It's a, it's a really hands-on retail business. And uh, they're hard to find really good retail CEOs, yeah. You know?
0: Well, typically the best businesses um, promote from within. Yes, because correct. Because the culture's already right. Yes. It's just handing that baton over. You're to keep, right. Keep you're the same kind of right. movement going. Yeah, correct. So it sounds like you feel that way as well.
1: Yes. I, t- even in our... From our store managers to regional managers, the head of retail, the the best promotions from within. Because you're right. And uh, so
0: let, let's say you're 75, you're retired. You you'll go sailing. Is that is that the?
1: Probably, <laughs> or might still be working. Who knows? Yeah, I still sail whilst I'm working. You know. So you,
0: you can cover yeah, both. Yeah. And property, that yeah. that's got you intrigued again, despite the early 90s. You've, you make the, that's the only time you make the press when you put your results out, and when there's a property purchase. Yeah, yeah,
1: correct. <laughs> yeah, and but I think from in respect of the furniture business, it's smart to own some of your retail property, particularly in those areas that you know are susceptible to escalation of values. And you know, it, I think over time in in the metro cities like Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, particularly those. Um, Certainly, like, furniture stores will get smaller if they don't own the properties because the rents will keep escalating to the point you'll have smaller furniture stores because that's all you can pay, as happened in Asia, a lot of areas, um, even the UK to a degree. So that's why I see like, Harvey Norman has a huge advantage because he owns a lot of those properties. He doesn't have that risk, whereas other furniture retailers will have that risk. So owning properties in the right location is really important for the business for the long-term you know, sustainability of the business.
0: Well, uh, it's a great place to finish up on. So I'm going to say, well done. Great Australian business. Thanks. Great man. career. Thank you very much. And it sounds like the business is going to keep sailing, but yeah. you're, you're not going to go full time.
1: <laughs> no, that's right.
0: So keep on keeping on and well done. Thanks. Thanks. Thank so you.
1: Thanks.